Working with Warriors podcast by the team at the Regional Men's Health Initiative. Hello and welcome. I'm Owen Caddo and today I'm joined by fellow team members Terry Melrose and Glenn Duncanan. How are you guys? Good, thanks, Owen. Yeah, well, thanks, Owen. How are you, mate? Yeah, keeping well. Look, today we just want to talk about suicide and, and the fact you can't address a problem without talking about it. And we're kind of going to have this discussion over a couple of podcasts. It doesn't matter um, what issues in our life, but we must have a conversation. And I guess as a society, we've become a bit politically correct about what we talk about and how we talk about it. And um, and conversations around suicide are a classic example of this, guys, and we see it in the in the in the work we do. So, I guess when we talk about suicide, it always presents some material that some people may find distressing. If you know of someone feeling depressed or suicidal, please contact one of the following services. We got Lifeline thirteen eleven fourteen, Men's Line Australia thirteen hundred seven eight nine nine seven eight, or in an emergency all the time, call triple zero. So. Suicide in context, because it's such a, a difficult subject to talk about, and we've it's been politicised and and we've been chastised over how we talk about it. But but in the context of completed suicides over the last ten years, there's been a lot of money and effort put in from state governments and federal governments and prevention programs, training, but we've had a limited impact on reducing suicides per 100,000 people. And this is reflected in the stats, whether we're talking metro, regional, rural and or remote. And because we work in regional, rural and remote Australia, we know those health stats, and in particular suicide, get worse as we go from regional, rural to remote. And we've all talked about and experienced that, haven't we, guys? Yeah, look, and we do speak about it in in education. Every education session we tackle, we in some in some way use that word suicide and acknowledge it. And when we talk about blokes' health statistics, there is no disproportionate uh, health outcome. I suppose when we talk about seventy five percent of all completed suicides are blokes. So we we do acknowledge that statistic. Um, we talk about it in the context of how we, how blokes we are hardwired to take risks how we talk differently and how we ultimately like to win or that context of that winning attitude for blokes. And look, I think really just acknowledging um, all the different pieces of skill and knowledge we acquire through our life experiences, um, it doesn't really matter how often we use a piece of knowledge or a skill as long as we are prepared to use them if and when required. And and that's the thing with suicide at the end of the day. We, we don't know... When it may crop up, someone we're dealing with, when they might be harbouring those thoughts or thinking about it, or the fact that most people have been affected by it in some way, is is ultimately um, underpinning that supports why we need to talk about it, Owen. It does, Terry, and I guess that leads to why haven't we made a difference? And, you know, the biggest issue I see and in the work that we do is there's a lot of programs and information that's targeted at people and corporate and business structures, i.e. that top-down stuff that are removed from the grassroots people. And if we add that a lot of those training programs and services aren't bloke-friendly, it's, it's a double whammy. So, so when we're having that conversation amongst ourselves and, and it's encouraging people to do so, we know we can make a difference. And I, I guess, Glenn, we experience that all the time at our presentations 
and that people are keen and eager to have a conversation about suicide. They are, and the thing that emerges is that there is that uh, hesitancy to talk about it, thinking that they might do some sort of further damage by even raising it, and it's it's an unfortunate that people have got to that got to that point. Uh, the, the political correctness has kind of gone crazy and has has muddied the waters. And it's important that we have that conversation a, a, around suicide. Uh, like you were saying, Owen, we, when we go out and we present, we we constantly get people that are hungry for information and really and really want to um, discuss discuss the topic and know more about it. Absolutely, and it is a it's not a taboo subject that we're led to believe in and even the press has got parameters on it and, and the training and it, it just is, it, it, it actually inhibits quite often the ordinary person that we deal with, the grassroots community member, actively participating in our role as primary care, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. And, and that's where we've got to confront our discussion around suicide, and that is where ultimately we're going to make a difference in in outcomes. And it is good seeing that, hopefully, good seeing that the press is finally coming around because there was the stage where it just wasn't mentioned at all and they're coming around now. And now the main stipulations around not mentioning method and those sorts of things, but really it's... it's um, it, it's good to see that there's a there's a change happening, and the ability to talk about it all allows it to be a subject that's allowed to be addressed. And even I guess we've been to Annie Dately, we've been to many events where where the death has been by a completed suicide. However, it's never mentioned. But everyone at that talk where I've been, and and you know that's why some of the best postvention is is post a suicide when we've gone into a community and had a chat, so we know what we're there for. And the people know what they're coming for and they're open to that discussion. Suicide Prevention Australia and a lot of mental health organisations state around 80% of the population at some point in their life when faced with a really difficult life event will experience some form of suicide ideation in the way of a thought or thinking of it as a resolution to their problems. So so like you said, Glenn, that, that people are hungry for information about it and that's backed up by that stat that for most of us to have that thought in some stage of our life is quite normal. Not that we will plan uh, to take our lives or put that thought into action, but the fact that we all, part of that human nature to... Is- Grapple with a life problem, I think that supports this need for this conversation even more. We, that's right, Terry, and we do have to acknowledge that it is a tool in the toolbox of everyone, whether it's 80 or 90%. Um, so that therein lies why we're having this discussion. We just move on a little bit and, and we, ha- we have a summary when we have our talks and, and it's really describing what we know about suicide because when we're discussing Suicide is essential that we all learn more, and, and that's imperative. And I guess while we're having this podcast and discussion, and like you said, Terry, we mentioned in all our education sessions at some point, but there are three key points to remember, and, and they are pretty important. Yeah, look, the three key points we talk about and what we we know about suicide, um, first of all, quite often a distressed or, or suicide person doesn't want to die. You know, they're looking for a resolution to their problems, and quite often a way to stop that intense emotional pain. Um, secondly, you know, it is safe 
to talk with someone about their suicidal thoughts or with someone who we, we think may be at risk. Quite often there's a lot of fear that if I if I have the conversation or bring up that word suicide, I could put the idea in the head. But as we said about that 80% of people who are dealing with a difficult issue, you know, they're probably already grappled with it. And look, thirdly, suicide quite often is not a complex decision, um, you know, to, to take your life. Um, is not, but the reasons behind those suicidal thoughts are often complex. They're layered and and do need, you know, both that primary care we talk about, ordinary people to to look out look out for them and support them, but also that next level of of clinical or specialist professional help. Quite often to to deal with such a complex range of issues. I think that's really important, Terry, and the fact that we'll talk further at another podcast about the myths and go through some of them about about suicide because that all gives us a better understanding. But but I guess also a lot of completed suicides on the basis of those three points happen to people that are under extreme distress and what we call situational distress and not from a mental illness. Um, so, so we do not have to have a diagnosed mental illness to complete suicide. And some of the latest research and is telling us that, say, half of all suicides, half of all completed suicides are from people that haven't presented haven't got a diagnosed mental illness, but are going through a whole lot of life's issues. And we know that men's and women's experience of situational distress and suicide are different. Male suicides are more often associated with that relationship problems, money issues, job loss and alcohol abuse, whereas female suicides are more likely to be linked to mental illness and previous suicide attempts. So we have to put this in context. And we've spoken about that from day dot as an organisation, haven't we, Owen? When we speak about suicide, it could be anyone, anywhere, anytime. And I think it's important we do acknowledge our, our, our women in, in our communities because quite often ladies do have a higher attempt rate at suicide. So in that picture of, of completing, you know, we're not um, – Ignoring that fact of, of ladies still grappling with life issues as well and, and using suicide as a, a solution, I suppose, uh, to, to intense life problems. Um, but yeah, uh, once again, uh, something we acknowledge as, as a, a whole of community issue is important. Very important. And on the back of what we're talking about, a whole community issue and situational distress, you know, we, we really need to discuss you know, the power of ordinary people to make a difference. And I think this is the missing link in all the discussions and the implementation around around making a difference, around improving suicide outcomes, because we've always underestimated, in my opinion, the power and importance of having someone supporting you through a difficult patch in their life. And, and we always talk about those three areas, the family, the workplace and the community group. And if we don't observe the change in people around us, what chance has the system got of doing it? And, and I always kind of use the story about the risk factor story where we, we have experts with charts and matrices on risk and, and risk factors. And we talk about risk factors, but, you know, one of the biggest risk priority populations in Australia is the male population. And, and that's got to be front and centre. So, so that's every male. So if we don't observe that change or become connected, then we're really we're really missing an opportunity to to improve. And part of that is through having a conversation. 
and having some empathy and and having the confidence to do something about it because we know suicide is always contextual and personal. So that opens the door for you, for Terry, Glenn, myself, to and anyone to just bloody put your foot in the door and, and say, what's going on? You know, I've got a gut feel something's not right. That primary care does really empower the everyday bloke, work colleague, boss, wife, partner, and, and in a sense demedicalises that, that medical model that has been driven from top down around suicide, that it's only experts that can intervene and deal with it. So, look, that primary care works alongside and hand-in-hand hand with specialist support, but at that point in time, um, someone at your workplace, family or community group quite often are the people to note, pick up on those subtle changes as hard as they are, but but impairing them to, to, to like you said, Owen, if we get that gut feel, we've got to, we've got to ask the question. And, and just to add to that, Terry, it's not to poo-poo the matrixes and, and the risk factors. They've got a role. But the second part of that, which is, is what people are identifying, is that out of four people with the same amount, this is just an analogy, out of four people with the same risk factors, the system does not know who out of those four is going to complete suicide. And that comes back to individual capacity and the knowing. That's the missing link. So that's that's why our intervention and our having that conversation in community hopefully can lift the lid on me knowing your capacity. There's a lot of research going into that now on on why one person will complete suicide against another given the same risk factor profile. However, that's a tin of worms and, and I reckon as primary carers we can we can make big inroads by just flushing that out in a in a helping flush that out in via a conversation, Glenn. Yeah, certainly. It's um that that capacity of like you're saying, that that unknown capacity of each person um can it it underpins the fact that it we 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 don't know from one person to the next who's who's likely to um, t- to complete a suicide, and therefore, whilst there might be risk groups, uh, narrowing it down further than that becomes the really becomes the domain of of everyone in the community in that primary care model because we're the ones more with our finger on the pulse in terms of behavioural change. Yep, and and a bit of that stigma and making it a too, taboo subject is that fear of unknown and we talk about it all the time yeah. quite often some of our biggest distresses in life are the things we have the least control over and when we think of suicide that that x factor or that unknown is is a uh, yeah one of the difficulties um to address it but I, I just think back to my last nine years in this role and and having been involved with with some deaths by suicide and the, the the family or the community left bereaved, one of the most common things they quite often say is that was the last person we expected to do that. But once you start talking with them and people become more comfortable at talking about little things they maybe noticed in hindsight, you know, some little changes, uh, maybe, you know, that, that it does come to the front. You know, anecdotally, say the last nine completed suicides that I've been to either in terms of a community talk or a individual to the families. You know, there's the majority of those people haven't, one, had a mental illness, two, had no outward symptoms other than post a completed suicide and the family talking to each other. And, and I've had mums 
daughters and, and a nana say, you know, the only change I've noticed in hindsight was my son or my husband spoke less and a couple of ladies have said grunted less. He was a grunter and he grunted less. That was the only physical observation that they've been out to observe. So, look, I just reckon we must always remember that a conversation can change someone's life. Um, sometimes this is confused with a conversation can save someone's life. Only that person can save their life. And I think that's just really important. We, we don't want to be precious about this, and, and some people might disagree, but, but a conversation can always change someone's life, whether it's suicide, prostate cancer, you know, a mental, other mental health issue. But if, if we've got that as a backdrop in our conversations, that's really important because there's nothing that anyone can say, in my opinion. We've had gruff people. I've been in a men's shed and, you know, the gruffest bloke in that men's shed, people came and spilled their guts to him because he, he had some empathy and he had some, some you know, compassion with people, even though he was gruff and he said to me, I use the wrong bloody language, but people come and chat and listen to me. So that's where I get a bit antsy about training and language and all that stuff. It's bloody bunkum. We've actually got to have this conversation person to person, face to face, and then we can make a, make a decision. And, you know, we don't know if someone's suicidal unless we ask. It's one of the hardest questions we do, but every second phone call that we have for advocacy support, we have to ask. So over the phone, it's bloody hard, let alone face-to-face, but we have to ask, because how do you know? And then how do you know if that person's telling you the truth? But but if you've got the gut feel, you know, we need to ask. And um, I, I, I guess it's not easy. Um, I always say we don't need training. The language is up to us, up to you. Um, and, and if someone does disclose and say they are suicidal, well, we need to put in plan, you know, a plan for support and that immediate follow-up because we know people want that follow-up and and there is plenty of help out there with the numbers I previously mentioned, you know, combine that with your local mental health team, your local doctor and other support services in your area, which there are many, we've got to flush them out. And I just say to everyone, you know, we've got to become informed. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a stock market or or the or COVID bloody 19, you know, you know we, we've got to become informed and and there is, like you said earlier, Glenn, there is this hunger out there for people to have this conversation and particular blokes on the back of the ute after a game of footy, bloody in a pub, wherever we're doing our talks, blokes want to come up and say something. I think the, the reason why it's so important that it is at a community level and not uh, this taboo subject that's only left to, only left to specialists is because that's it's at community where you have the like we said before have the finger on the pulse we notice the changes and as much as we'd like a specialist in any field on every corner the only people that we have um, in rural regional and remote WA um, is community uh, that that's the only people we're guaranteed to have around us as opposed to the specialists that might be on a particular street in the metropolitan area. So I think we've still got to bring it back to that level of individual, you know, responsibility. And we, we talk about self-care as well, because we, we do know that there is a, a whole array of, of levels of suicide education or awareness from, from preventative 
awareness to that postvention where it's sort of dealing with and supporting people and communities who are bereaved or lost someone to suicide and and that that self-care comes in all sorts of levels you know um you know dealing with grief and loss issues um acknowledging pain in people's lives uh guilt um anger resentment all the things that can come not only to someone who we might be concerned about suicide but losing someone to to suicide as well so look always important if, if you feel like you are overwhelmed or struggling uh, to reach out and seek some help. Owen's discussed some good options there, but Glenn's got our good little go-to that we always like to promote as well. And it's on our magnets, but we, we're telling everyone, before it all gets too much, talk to a mate or talk it over. And on, that number for Men's Line Australia is 1300 789 978. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, it's a real difficult subject to talk about, but next chat we'll just go through some of the myths surrounding suicide and some tactics that we can help us engage and in the interim you know take care keep a lookout for our mates and most importantly look after yourself thanks Alan thanks Alan thanks for listening to our working with warriors podcast series 